Good day, friends. It's great to be with you again today and to look at Scripture and see what uh, Scripture, the Holy Spirit teaches us from Scripture about Himself. Now, last week, Greg started off our mini-series on the Holy Spirit by looking <coughs> at uh, the Holy Spirit, our Helper. And this week, we are going to look at the Holy Spirit who cares. We know that our God is a caring God, that He's a God who rescues us uh, from evil and from the evil one. He came in the form of a man to our uh, rescue, and He paid for our sins, and He rescued us from slavery to the evil one. So, when we look at the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and the mention of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout Scripture from the very beginning, from Genesis 1 right through to the, to the end of the Scripture. And there are many images, different images of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. For example, the Holy Spirit is often described as the breath of God. So, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says that after God created the heavens and the earth, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the chaotic earth, and He was starting to create order in the chaos. And the Holy Spirit there is described as the breath of God. And we see the same image of the breath of God in uh, John chapter 20, verse 22, where Jesus does a, a prophetic act. He blows on His people, on His disciples. And this <coughs> points forward to, to, the, to Pentecost that was coming later. He was preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit eventually came uh, and was poured out on them, it, uh, the description is that uh, there was a sound like a mighty wind that blew into the place where the disciples were gathered. But there are other images as well. For example, the image of fire at, at, uh, the, on, uh, at Pentecost the Holy Spirit came on the different uh, disciples like tongues of fire. And then oil is often used as a description of the Holy Spirit. So there are many descriptions of the Holy Spirit, and to me, some of the most vivid descriptions of the Holy Spirit is the description of the seven lambs that were before the throne of God. These lamps were fed by oil, olive oil, and they were burning there before God. So we see the lamps, the fire, the oil, all images of the Holy Spirit. And this we find at various places in Scripture. So the first one is Zechariah that I want to talk about is Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 2 to 10. And we see Zechariah here uh, 
standing before an angel, and the, he sees different visions. And the, the angel asks him, Zechariah, what do you see? And he answered, he says, I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. <clears throat> Around the bowl are seven lambs, and each has seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. And then I asked the angel, What are these, my lord? What do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my lord, I replied. And then the angel said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the leader of the uh, of the Jews that came back from exile. And he says, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. So the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, all of that is met by resistance from people with different political um, motives. But the Lord is saying to Sir Rubabal, don't be afraid, because this is going to happen, and it's not going to happen by might or by power, but it's going to happen by my spirit. And then in the last, um, in chapter uh, 4, verse 10, he says, the seven lamps pre <coughs> presents the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Now, this is very significant because seven represents the completeness or perfection of God. And the eyes, they signify perfection and completeness of knowledge and wisdom. So what it means is that God sees he sees everything that occurs on the earth. doesn't matter where. Nothing is hidden from him. He controls the fates of peoples and of nations. And this is what this image means then, is that the Spirit of God is there, is present, and he knows. He sees everything. He's a complete and perfect Spirit of God, and he sees everything. He knows everything. And he also controls everything. A second um, place in the Bible that I want to focus on where this image of the seven lambs is used is in Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse eight to, uh, 4 to 8. Now John wrote a letter, and he wrote, addressed this letter to seven churches in Asia Minor at the time. And he starts this, uh, off by saying, This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. That's God, God the Father. And from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Here we see uh, the, the direct translation is, the seven spirits of God. But uh, the meaning is the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, 
And so this is a mention of the Trinity, the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus working together as one and uh, uh, sending out this letter, this message as one. Now it says then of Christ, he says, he is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead. This word first is the Greek word protokos, which means the firstborn or the most prominent. So he's saying this comes from Jesus Christ and he's the most prominent. He's the first. And he, uh, that rose from the dead. And the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him. To him who does what? To him who loves us and feed, freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. So you see, he's talking about Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the first that was risen from the dead. And he paid for our sins with his own blood. And he freed us from those sins. But he didn't only pay for our sins and did not only free us. He did much more than that. Because he carries on to say to the right, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. This is amazing because it means that we are a people that are set apart to serve God in his kingdom. That's what priests do. They serve God. And so we are called to serve God in his kingdom. And he carries on all glory and power to him. That's to Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. <clears throat> and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. What does it mean when he says they will mourn for him? What it means is their unbelievers will beat their chests and they will cry out. Um, they will wail and cut themselves. This is what it means. It says they will mourn for him. Why will they do that? Because they will realize that they have opposed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So what we see here is the Almighty God and our Almighty uh, Jesus Christ mentioned together with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the sevenfold Spirit of God. And again, like in Zechariah, we see the mention of the seven uh, spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit of God. Now, when we talk about the sevenfold spirit of God, what do we mean by this? And I think this is explained to us very clearly in, by, by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, he writes, verse uh, 1 to 2, he writes, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Now this refers to Jesus. Out of uh, David's family will come Jesus. 
yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And then he goes on to say, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we see here a sevenfold um, spirit. So there are seven expressions here of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that there are seven sp different spirits. No, it's one Holy Spirit. But what it means is that <coughs> there are uh, that the seven different expressions refers to His manifold manifestations. Again, the word, the, the number seven is the completeness of God. So the seven things that we see about the Holy Spirit is firstly, He's the Spirit of God. This is what uh, He says here. The Spirit of the Lord. He's one with God. He's the Spirit of God the Father and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so, just like we saw in the, uh, in the passage that we read, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. But then it continues to say, He's the Spirit of wisdom. Secondly, He's the Spirit of wisdom. And what does that mean? I mean, wisdom refers to, to something, somebody that, uh, that is wise and, and skillful to know all things on the earth. And this is the Holy Spirit. He's also the spirit of understanding. That means he's the spirit with insight into everything that's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows the heart of the Father. He knows what's in the Father's heart. And, and he uses, um, he knows how he pans out and how everything is put together. He's also the spirit of counsel, which means he's a spirit. Spirit that gives advice like a counselor. That's what it, it means. And then is the spirit of might and strength and power. And is also the spirit of knowledge. That means to know and discern everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And then lastly, is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, He's the spirit that leads us to reverence, reverent fear of the Lord. And also, he's the spirit, the word fear also refer, uh, refers to terrifying. Uh, our God is a terrifying God. Although he loves us and he's um, given us his only son and he cares for us in every aspect, he is a terrifying God. The Bible tells us. It's, it's awful to fall into the hands of God. It's terrible, terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. So, because He is the Lord God Almighty, the Holy One. Now, if we want to know what the New Testament tells us about the Holy Spirit, the best place to go to is the Gospel of John. You know that the Gospel of John is different from the other three Gospels. Those are called the Synoptic Gospels. They give uh, an account of the historis, historical facts of Jesus. They are like a, a historical narrative that describes the life and, and, uh, and actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this 
gospel is different because it describes a relationship with Jesus. John is the beloved disciple. He is this intimate friend of Jesus, his best friend. And he has a different relationship with Jesus. And he speaks from this relationship, this very intimate relationship. And he wrote in this book of John, this Gospel of John, he gave us a very clear reason why he wrote this book. So in chapter 20, he tells us in the end, but in chapter 20, verse 30, he tells us why he wrote the book. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So John only records seven, again, the, the number seven. He only records seven miracles. Why these miracles? The miracles that he selected to record are miracles that can only be performed by God. These are not miracles that could ever be performed anywhere else. They were seven miracles that are only be performed by God. And why did he select those seven? He tells us, but these are written so that you may continue to believe. So he's writing to, to Christians. And again, to those churches in Asia Minor. And he's saying, I'm writing to you this letter so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So this reflects the deity of Christ because only God can perform those, those miracles. And these are signs. And you know what signs do? They point to something. And so these miracles are signs. He calls them signs. He doesn't call them miracles. They point to Jesus. And that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. And this is a key thing in His purpose. By believing in Him, you will have life. This life isn't just a normal life, like breathing, getting up in the morning, living, growing old, having children, having grandchildren, dying. This isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about a special life. We can enjoy this life and the power that he's talking about only through the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can lead us in this life. Only the Holy Spirit can give us this life. And the role of the Holy Spirit as seen by Jesus in his life and in his teachings, is set out so clearly by, by, um, by John. We know that in John chapter 1, there's a description of Jesus that is baptized by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit came onto him like a dove. And we know that before that time, Jesus didn't perform any miracles. But after the Holy Spirit came on him, his ministry started. And first he resisted the enemy, and then he started with his uh, ministry and his miracles. So we see the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And Jesus lives the kingdom life. 
And he sets for us an example on how we should live the kingdom life. We also see in chapter 3 that where, he, where Jesus makes a point to emphasize, John makes a point to emphasize uh, for us that we must be born of water and of the Spirit. If we are not born of the Spirit, we are not regenerated. And we cannot enter this kingdom of God. So we need to be born of water and the Spirit, he says. And then in chapter 4, he goes on to say, if you are worshipping God, there's only one way that you can truly worship Him, and that's in, in spirit and in truth. So the Holy Spirit takes us and He guides us in worship of our God. And then He says in chapter 7, He gives us the Holy Spirit if we ask Him. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit if we ask Him. And He says, the Holy Spirit is like a spring of living water that gushes from inside of us out. And so this is an amazing thing because the instance, there was a certain ritual at the Feast of Tabernacles where uh, water were pour, uh, brought from uh, <laughs> the spring of Siloam and poured out on the altar. And when Jesus saw that, he stood up and he says, I and the living water, the, the Spirit is the living water that comes out of you. Now, <clears throat> we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, John describes to us that the Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus. And that He continues Jesus' work. So, He came after Jesus went into, uh, into heaven, after He was uh, taken up into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. And again, <clears throat> we see that He is Jesus' representative and will teach us and remind us of everything that Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit has this intimate relationship with Jesus, but also with us. He guides us. He leads us. He teaches us. He reminds us of Jesus' words. That is the life in the kingdom of God. It also says uh, in chapter 16, he says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. So the Holy Spirit is also the one who points people to their own sins and their own incompleteness, but also to, um, to the solution to this. He points us to Jesus. But of all these descriptions, the one that stands out for me is the one that we read about, uh, read about in chapter 40. Here Jesus announces to his uh, disciples that he's going to leave them. And they are quite upset, uh, understandably. But he says to them, don't, don't worry. Don't worry, I won't leave you alone. You won't be orphans. Because I'm sending you a comforter, is the translated word. A comforter. Now, a comforter is sort of like 
a difficult word to understand here because a comforter can mean like, like you comfort your child when he's scared or uh, when he's hurt or whatever. You come and go and comfort your child. But this is not what it means in this context. The Greek word that is translated as comforter here is the word uh, parakletos. And this word, uh, uh, paraclete, this word actually means to be a helper or an advocate. It's a legal term that was used in those days. And John says that Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will be your advocate that walks alongside you. This is what the word paraclete means. It's, he comes alongside you. And this is what the advocate does. He comes alongside you when you go into court. And he takes your case and he presents your case before the judge. And he says, this is uh, the legal assistant that I'm giving you. This is the one that will plead your cause before God. And so that is an amazing thing because it means the Holy Spirit cares intensely for us. He cares for us so much that he walks alongside us like an advocate, somebody who pleads our cause before God. And he is the this advocate is, is sent in Jesus' place. Jesus leaves, but the advocate comes and he walks alongside me through life. So he is the paraclete or the one who is called alongside us. He is the one who stands by us. And he will never leave us. Because this is the heart of the Holy Spirit. It's the heart of Jesus. He cares for us. And we can know right through life, right through the difficulties of life that we are experiencing and now more than at other times, or right through the joys of life that we experience so often, or right through the cares of life The Holy Spirit is there. He is with us. He's alongside us. And He will never leave us. This is the heart of our God and Father. And this is the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is also the heart of the Holy Spirit. And the three are one. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you care for us, Lord. That you walk alongside us all through life, with all its discomforts, with all its problems, and also with all its joys. You are there to help us, to lead us, to teach us the Father's heart, the words of Jesus, and also to lead us into this life, in this life in the kingdom of God, this life as people who serve God, the priests of God. You are the one that we depend on, Lord. You are the living water that wells up in us and that flow from us, inside of us. And we thank you for that. We praise the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.